Hamburg is more central economy. Technology is developing fast. Mainly all these large container ports work without any human interference. Today it's all automized, but it means you have to have really billions of investment into these ports to compete. The Piraeus port had been very small for Mediterranean standards when the Chinese company started to invest 14 years ago. And what the Chinese company did was to develop the port by constructing piers and by bringing equipment that facilitate the transshipment as well as trade in, in general. The sort of embassy that is being built over different type of stakeholders needs to be taken into a long and large consideration right. for any type of investment. Some companies just think, okay, you know, here's my money and here's my efficiency. Okay, you know, why don't you accept it? <laughs> mm. But people have different considerations. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun. Today we take a look at Chinese investment in European port facilities. Germany's cabinet recently approved an investment by Chinese company Costco Shipping Ports for a 24.9% stake in one of the logistics firm HHLA's three terminals in Germany's largest port in Hamburg. Why do European ports need investment? What changes will Chinese investment bring to these European ports? We discuss these questions and more in this edition of our program. Joining me are Dr. Hans-Peter Berghoff, a professor, chair of the Banking and Finance Department at the University of Hockenheim, Germany, Dr. George Zugaplus, director of EU-China programs and senior research fellow at European Institute of Nice. Also, Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics. A very big uh, thank you and welcome to uh, the show to all of you. Now, uh, first up, um, help us understand the importance of uh, Hamburg port. We know it is important, but just not exactly about how and in what way um, to, you know, ch- uh, German and global economy. Maybe let me start with Professor Berghoff. How important is it for Germany and for the world? Well, traditionally, Hamburg is a port for Central Europe because it links with a large backland uh, um, of the River Elbe, which leads just to Czechia, to Poland, and all these areas. And at the same time, it's linked with a net of channels to other parts of Europe, Central Europe mainly. And also, it's a very, very big railway hub. And well, it's the largest hub, uh, port hub for uh, for Germany, which is well the largest economy in Europe. So it plays a very crucial role, although it's smaller than the competitors in in the Benelux countries, Antwerp and, and Rotterdam, and it's for sure much smaller than the large Chinese ports. Mm. What about Dr. Zugablos? What, what do you have something to add? Well, yes, the port is uh, quite significant, not only for Germany, but for uh, Europe. But I would not necessarily focus on this port only. I would place the discussion into context about connectivity among different ports. Mm. And in that regard, the northern part of Europe obviously is, is critical. And obviously, the port of Hamburg cannot but be important. And the uh, investment of Costco in that regard also deserves special attention. 
but I would not necessarily focus on the port only. I would place the discussion into context. Mm. Uh, Doctor uh, Professor Liu, what's your what's your take from uh, the Chinese perspective, Professor well, Liu? Mm. Uh, the um, marine transportation still is the mainstay of uh, uh, global connectivity, and they take uh, nearly ninety percent of all the cargoes that are being shipped across borders. Mm. So, uh, you know, the port serves as an important hub uh, for such uh, sort of connectivity, and uh, also that uh, China is expanding its uh, Belt and Road uh, program to uh, support the uh, connectivity, and also that. Uh, we do see that during the pandemic, um, uh, we see that uh, uh, Chinese uh, ocean transportation also play a even more ostentatious role uh, mm. in uh, such a connectivity. And also that uh, uh, when Europe is also suffering from the uh, lack of uh, supply from uh, uh, in terms of energy mm. uh, from Russia, and now you know uh, when uh, China is uh, able to leverage on such sort of uh, Transportation and accessibility, and that's something that's very important. And lastly, I think the uh, uh, China does really, uh, you know, particularly Costco is a very respected company, and mm-hmm. they are uh, number four uh, in terms of the marine fleets, and uh, they have a good experience not only in bringing traffic and also contributing the management, but also in the overall infrastructures. Uh, 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 development uh, over there. Mm. Well, Professor Liu has already mentioned, you know, the some of the uh, the, the the global standing of uh, Chinese uh, state-owned enterprise Costco Shipping in the global shipping industry. Um, uh, Professor Berghoff, what's your understanding of that? Because we have seen reports show that you know the Costco has stakes in several European uh, ports, such as Valencia in Spain, Antwerp in Belgium, etc. Oh yes, and they're also active in Rotterdam, as far as I understood, in Istanbul, in Italy. In... So they're really very active on this respect. From a competition perspective, I I'm not sure about if it's good or bad development. Just without talking about politics, we have to talk about politics later on for mm. sure. But beyond that, it's vertical integration of of the transport chain, and this might make competition more difficult. On the other hand. Beside Costco, there are still other very, very large shipping companies around the globe. So it's not like they are close to monopoly. But there's danger that they will use their market power to, uh, to, to have influence on prices and, and that we get less competition if they control too many ports in Europe or in other regions of the world. Mm. But then, uh, Professor, I, I saw reports uh, saying that, you know, Costco's uh, shares or stakes in these European ports, most of them are actually below 30%. Some are only like 10 to 11. Only the one in, in Greece, maybe Dr. Zugopoulos can talk about later, is uh, has larger stake. What does that con- constitute monopoly in your opinion? Yeah, but on the other hand, mm. my experience is that mm. if you've got one dedicated investor who is really following an objective, on the other hand, in many of these ports, you've got a large public ownership, which is often very weak in corporate governance, mm. then the private investor might stand out much stronger. Or Well, Sosco mm. is not a private investor, but it's an outside <laughs> investor with some objectives. Mm. And this might make it hard to really control its behavior in this respect. And it's active mm. as an owner in all these ports, not only in one or two of them, whereas most of the other ownership is, as I said, public institutions of the respective country. For example, in Hamburg case, the city of Hamburg owns a large part of the port. 
So they don't have this overall strategy. Mm. They have a mm. joint, joint strategy with regard to one owner, but on the other hand, you have distributed ownership. And this might lead to a certain disequilibrium. On the other hand, I'm very much aware of this. This kind of ownership links can lead also to efficiency gains. So it's kind of trade-off here. Mm. Uh, Dr. Zugoplos, what, what's your what's your understanding of uh, Costco shipping, uh, you know, from the Greek perspective as well as, uh, you know, its presence in European ports? Well, let me start from its general uh, presence in mm. European port, uh, ports and beyond. It is a very successful uh, company and numbers themselves uh, can uh, indicate uh, this uh, success. Now, as far as Europe is uh, concerned, uh, I would not uh, like to uh, overgeneralize the situation as every port is different. Mm. Every port is composed of different terminals and there the participation of the Chinese company can be also different. Uh, the, the only case where uh, the Chinese company is controlling the, the, the majority uh, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the shares is the port of Piraeus in Greece. Mm. Beyond the port of Piraeus, in all other European ports, there is a minority uh, mm. of the shares controlled by the Chinese company. Mm. So by placing all this discussion into context, we can better understand uh, questions about uh, competition as well as questions about connectivity uh, and uh, the importance of the Chinese company from a trade perspective, a shipping perspective, as well as a political perspective. So there is a, a holistic analysis that is required in that regard. Mm. Well, uh, Professor Liu, what's your understanding of uh, Costco's presence in Europe, uh, especially about the point that Professor Berghoff just mentioned, that uh, because it is um, investing uh, in quite a few of uh, European ports that might contribute to monopoly? Professor well, Liu. They have, mm. uh, um, Presence in Rotterdam, Antwerp, and uh, 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 yes, the uh, periods uh, in, in Greece, and uh, they also are uh, having controlling stake in the uh, in a Belgium Zeebrug uh, uh, port mm. uh, for the uh, for one terminal. But uh, you know, this is really the special nature of this particular industry because they they need to spread out through the vertical uh, connectivity, and uh, that really they can really leverage for better efficiency. Mm. And in the meantime, most of the endeavors are really uh, there that uh, they hold a, a minority share. And for the uh, hamburgers uh, uh, terminal. Uh, this is really one of the three terminals the, in the hands of HHLA. Uh, mm. And uh, even within one terminal, they only host you know, less than 25% of the stake uh, with uh, no voting power. So uh, I think it is very uh, far from uh, really meeting the, uh, the, the, the contact point of mm. uh, uh, anti-monopoly uh, scrutiny. Mm. So, uh, therefore, you know, uh, normally legislatures and uh, judiciaries will also consider, you know, uh, are they really are there to uh, block uh, the uh, competition? And this particular industry needs heavy investment, like you know, uh, you know, uh, building a airport uh, or building a uh, aircraft company uh, requires far larger capital. Therefore, it's not really uh, there for everybody to freely enter. So this is really the particular nature. And uh, mm. I do not think the antitrust is there uh, looming uh, over very closely to such sort of uh, operation. Mm. Well, you're listening to Chat Lunch. We are going to continue the discussion after this break. 
The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of the world today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. Welcome back. You're listening to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Today, we take a look at Chinese investments in European port facilities. Now, continue our discussion.、Um, let's take a look at the specific case of the port of Hamburg.、Uh, Professor Berghoff, the German government has allowed Costco to、uh, buy a 24.9 percent stake in one of Hamburg's port terminals. And let me let me start with this. Why does the port, Hamburg port need investment in the first place? Well, it's a port on a river. It's a big river, but、mm. it's still a river, and the ships are getting bigger and bigger. So it's not that easy, and might be very costly to make this place available for for some very large ships.、Um, for for in, in,、uh, international investors, we have another、uh, high sea port at Bremerhaven, where it's easier to get this.、Mm. But Hamburg is more central economy, so we like to have it there. Uh, but we have to invest a lot into this, and the, the, the technology is developing fast. The, the, mainly, all these large container ports work without any human interference today. It's all automated, but this means you have to have really billions of investment into these ports to compete. And competition between these two, three large European ports is very, very severe between Rotterdam, Antwerp, and Hamburg. So they must be really up to date if they want to have a chance. Mm. Well then,、uh, Professor Berghoff,、uh, what do you think Costco bring to the table if it is very so competitive as to you know eventually win the case? Well, I think there are two problems. One is、mm. they might give investment money.、Mm. Hopefully, they help Hamburg to to invest into its new investments.、Uh, it needed to to be up to date in its technology.、Uh, another promise is a little bit more shaky, I'd say,、mm. which is just trade volume because as I said, they're competing. With the other ports, on the other hand, Costco is already invested in the other ports, so there is no special advantage to Hamburg. So this kind of promise might prove to be empty.、Mm. So maybe politicians、mm. in Hamburg are more optimistic about that. But at least they wouldn't be disadvantaged compared、mm. to other the other ports.、Um, mm. I'm not sure if it will happen as Imperials, which in its unique,、uh, you know, Imperials the, the, the trade volume really increased significantly、mm. after the investment of Costco. Due to several reasons,、mm. technological advancements, but also because just Costco decided to to channel its trade through its its its, its transport through this harbor.、Uh, but uh, in Hamburg, uh, I'm I'm not really sure if they can get so much additional volume from that, and I'm not also sure how the competitors will react to this investment of Costco. Maybe they'll decide well if it's not also a Costco port. 
then we are less interested in Hamburg afterwards. Mm. So this volume argument, I'm not so sure about it. It's so easy to say then we'll have more volume afterwards, as can be proven in the past. Uh, but I'm not sure if this will work. Mm. We'll have to wait and see, you know, the actual outcome of this. But Professor, I remember when Hamburg hosted the G20 summit, then the now chancellor was the mayor of Hamburg. Uh, and he, when he talked to Chinese press, he said that uh, Hamburg is uh, the largest Chinese port in Germany. What does that, how, how should we understand that? Is, was he referring to the traffic or was he referring the, you know, to the close business connections? I think he was referring to both. Mm. Uh, Hamburg is a port, the biggest port in Germany, so it's easy, the biggest Chinese port. Mm. And you see, he was still mayor of Hamburg, so he had a different head, uh, head on his head <laughs> at that time. Uh, so he argued in this way. And you can still see, I mean, he, he keeps China on, on, uh, on his mind and on, mm. in his plans. He's still looking forward to cooperation with China. So this is... Uh, contingent in his behavior. He stays still on the line that he says we should find a solution with China and not just uh, building up walls between us. <laughs> well, we'll take a uh, closer look about that later. Uh, Dr. Zugopoulos, uh, w- w- in terms of, you know, the things or the expertise or the advantages that Costco can actually bring to the table, what's your understanding from the Greek perspective? Uh, what, why is Costco, you know, becoming so competitive? Well, uh, the case of uh, the port of Piraeus is edifying. Mm. The Chinese company entered the port for the first time in 2008-2009 and started to develop the port. Mm. And then it bought the majority of the shares in 2016 Mm. and continued the development of the port. So if we compared how the port had been before the engagement of Costco and after, I think once again that numbers are speaking for themselves. So it's not that I need to comment, it's I just have to present the numbers. So the mm. trade volume has been huge and this is thanks to the Chinese company. Now, the, the question is up to what extent the, the development plans of the Chinese company to make the port of Piraeus even bigger Uh, can be accompanied with some of the concerns of the local society. Mm. But at the same time, this is also uh, the beauty of negotiations. There is a Chinese company which wants to develop. There are concerns from the local society. And the the real question is up to what extent a symbiosis is to be found because the Chinese company has signed a contract that will last for decades. Mm. And this, I find it very, very creative also for Sino-European relations to see how the two sides can work together. But generally speaking, the, the, the investment of the Chinese company has been uh, very successful. And this is not a Greek perspective. It's not a European perspective. It's also a perspective from the prism of companies who want to do business on the basis of the Piraeus port. Mm. Professor Liu, what's, what's your understanding of the uh, advantages of a Costco company? What can it bring to the port of Hamburg? Costco has a very long history. I used to teach shaping and uh, Costco was really a great example for Mm. uh, for us to cite. And uh, uh, it is a state-owned firm, but uh, it is uh, very much uh, market-driven. And they have uh, grown into such a conglomerate that uh, uh, they ranked number four in the marine industry and they uh, ranked uh, 117th within the Fortune 500 companies. Mm. And they still have a very strong uh, drive and uh, to uh, have a 
more uh, consolidated approach. You know, they used to sim simply manage the shipping lines, but now they, uh, they delve into terminals, and not only the seaport terminals, but also inland terminals. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, for cargo management, uh, they uh, are very efficient as compared with uh, many other uh, shipping lines. And uh, uh, yes, they... Uh, one important factor for any type of joint venture is, you know, cash. Mm. So they are, uh, they have abundant cash to contribute, and uh, they are uh, also very experienced in uh, international operation. And this is really in contrast with many Chinese companies who claim that uh, they operate overseas. And so, uh, mm. and, and on the other hand, they are. Uh, uh, also, they're seeing the future trend because right now, uh, yes, we have the connectivity between uh, the Eurasia continents uh, over the land area. But now, when the uh, you know, Russia and Ukraine is at a uh, at war, and now the Silk Road is mm. uh, uh, really halved in their uh, traffic, and so uh, this, you know, who who uh, who knows, uh, you know how how this war is going to drag on. And so they are really taking this opportunity to uh, follow up and to, uh, to uh, strengthen their muscles, but also uh, they're to comply with the European regulations to make a, a network of mm. uh, transportation hubs that is uh, uh, there to, uh, to, to uh, serve both efficiency and also customer satisfaction. Mm. A very general, basic question to Professor Berghoff. Port facilities are kind of important for a country, right? Uh, so how oh, common yes. is a privatization of port facilities in Europe? What are the popular investors? Well, mm. I have no perfect overview of that for sure. I looked into it a little bit before this talk, but mm. I'm not an expert on that. Um, traditionally, well, ports do contain a strong element of uh, public good. Mm. So uh, there's a tendency that they also have public ownership. And in most ports in Europe, this is still to some degree the case. Uh, the European Union's policy was to privatize in this respect, to get more competition, to get more growth, more efficiency from privatization. So we had a strong pressure on the European states, especially the ones who needed money like Greece, mm. to privatize their ports. So, for example, in case of Greece, the privatization was to some degree also forced by the European Union said, well, you must do something, get more efficient. Mm. So there has been a trend up to now, a trend that is now breaking. Uh, there has been a trend to privatize port facilities in Europe, which has been pretty strong in the last decade. Mm. Now, Dr. Zoukoblos, uh, do you, do you, what's, what's your comment on this? And uh, how much you know, has the, uh, the privatization of uh, Greek ports you know, a few years ago related to the debt crisis in Greece? Doctors. Well, this is a very important question, and mm. it is not only related to Greece, it's also related to other European countries which have suffered by the debt crisis, like Portugal, for example. Mm. And it also goes beyond ports into other investment in infrastructure, where uh, Chinese companies have been very, very active. I think uh, the professor from uh, Germany was right in suggesting that part of uh, the bailout terms for these countries mm. were to privatize, for example, ports in order to get bailout funds. This was uh, uh, the situation a few years ago. 
and it should be distinguished from the situation where countries are attracting investment themselves, like it is happening right now in, in Germany with the Hamburg pork, or it has happened in several other European countries in the past. So the big question is up to what extent Chinese investments in ports and beyond can go together with the European economic strategy in the current era, mm. because the previous era had been different for Sino-European relations, and it is the, the strategy is currently being adjusted. I remain optimistic that common solutions can be found for ports and beyond. Mm. You're listening to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. We will continue our discussion after the break, where we、we'll、take a look at Chinese investment in European ports in general. Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome. I'm Elaf Elard. Economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. Welcome back. You're listening to Chat Lunch. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Today we'll take a look at Chinese investment in European port facilities. Joining me are Dr. Hans Peter Berghoff, a professor, chair of the Banking and Finance Department at the University of Hockenheim, Germany. Also, Dr. George Zugaplus, director of EU China Program. And senior research fellow at European Institute of Nice. Also, we have Liu Baocheng, director of the Center for International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics. Again, thank you all for talking to me,、um, Professor Liu. What's your understanding about you know this privatization of European ports?、Um, you know, from your research and teaching, Professor. Well,、uh, mm. I think the、uh, Europeans.、Uh, You know, different countries use have、uh, have different attitudes towards the marketization, and Germany used to、uh, you know uh, uh, used to be more uh, reserved mm. Uh, in terms of the、uh, market liberalization, <clears throat> and uh, uh, now I think、uh, they all have a consensus that a privatization and、uh, operation by market and、uh, the well.、Uh, In the same time, you tighten the regulation to cater、uh, to public、uh, stewardship, and in the meantime, to、uh, invigorate the、uh, private operation is、uh, probably the best solution. 
So therefore, uh, you know, now the Euro European Union is now having a high uh, consensus and a synchronized mm. uh, attitude towards uh, uh, such an issue. So even for uh, infrastructures and even facilities, and that's the uh, most efficient way. And China is also realizing that. And mm. so uh, as a matter of fact that uh, many of the Chinese force actually are also uh, they're inviting private contribution mm. and uh, also foreign participation in such a, a construction. Mm -hmm. And also China is uh, uh, maintaining still, you know, state-owned companies uh, like Costco, you know, PetroChina, etc. But uh, again, they are also uh, private-driven and the mixed economy that China is going to implement as a big campaign. It mm -hmm. is there to, plan, uh, to uh, blend the uh, two missions one is the you know public catering mm. and also the other is uh, market efficiency so uh, corp uh, you know uh, every country is looking for the best balance but uh, yes there can be some pendulum Mm. that can really shift from uh, <laughs> this end to the other. Mm. Well, thank you for adding the, uh, you know, the condition in China, because I think it is useful for this discussion. Professor Berghoff, um, we know that the war in Ukraine is uh, adding to the energy and food crisis in all of the world, especially in the European Union. Uh, energy is a big problem. Uh, how does that play into, you know, the discussion of privatization of these ports? If very, there's any. Heavily, mm -hmm. very heavily, very mm -hmm. heavily. Uh, uh, we have a very, very traumatic experience with foreign investment by Gazprom. Mm -hmm. And this will really, how should I say, shape uh, the public debate in Germany at the moment. Gazprom had ownership in our gas infrastructure, especially in the underground, in the large underground gas reservoirs. Mm. which are really important for Germany because we are very dependent on resource from the outside. We don't have so much own natural resource, so we have to have reserves. And uh, what Gazprom did was close to war, like sabotage before the starting of the war. So in middle, before the beginning of the winter, they put all the reserves on zero. And in winter, we need gas. Mm. And this is something which is like kind of aggression against another state. Well, uh, Europeans are really facing a very difficult winter as we speak. Uh, although uh, if from uh, Russian media, we can see that sometimes Russians, uh, you know, cite the reason for technical uh, reasons or maybe a mechanical, you know, maintenance. Of yes, course. that's a well, nice idea. Yeah, we we'll, will. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the discussion of uh, these yeah. issues will be another a topic for another panel, but uh, back to our discussion about, you know, these port facilities. Uh, let's take a look at Greece, because uh, as we have um, constantly mentioned, you know, uh, Costco acquired the majority of uh, the uh, Piraeus port uh, in shares in 2016. And uh, here are some statistics uh, for our listeners and to our our guests. Uh, in terms of traffic, uh, the port rose from the third largest among Mediterranean ports in 2017 to the second largest in 2018. Also, uh, Piraeus Port Authority reported the annual turnover of the port in 2021 was 154.2 million euros, 16% more than 2020. Um, now, Dr. Zukablos, in your observation, what has Costco done right, you know, to make uh, the business of the port successful? 
where the port had mm. been very small in mm. the Mediterranean and for Mediterranean standards mm. when the Chinese company started to invest 14 years ago. And what the Chinese company did was to develop the port by uh, constructing uh, piers and also by bringing equipment that facilitate the uh, transshipment as well as trade in, in general. Mm. And uh, in the aftermath of the privatization of 2016, uh, the same uh, economic policy uh, was uh, further developed uh, in the port of Piraeus. Mm. So this uh, has been the main reason why the Piraeus port has been transformed into one of the biggest uh, in the Mediterranean. For some years also, uh, it, it, it was ranked as the first in the Mediterranean. And the big dilemma is up to what extent this policy of success can continue because Piraeus used to be a small city. The Chinese company is developing the port into a giant port in the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And there are common solutions that need to be found in that regard. But once again, I consider all this process as very, very useful, not only for uh, Costco shipping and Greece, but also for China and Europe, because we can learn about how we can proceed together through disagreements and by trying to bridge these disagreements when they exist. But once again, we need to look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. And the big picture is that the Piraeus port has been transformed into one of the biggest in the Mediterranean. And this is thanks to the Chinese investment. Mm. Well, I don't think that's something that uh, the success of the business uh, is something that can be negated um, because we have the figures. Uh, Dr. Zugablos, can you explain to me uh, what were you referring to when you said that the port is uh, now tur turned into a very big one compared to the past? What what problems are are you seeing in the running of it? Well, the, mm. yes, the, the Chinese company has a very big master plan in order to continue with investments, mm. and that kind of uh, plans occasionally cause uh, uh, frustration to the local communities living around the port. Mm. So there is a big debate up to what extent uh, conditions of life for daily citizens matter more than an investment which is becoming bigger and it's serving the national interest of a country from an economic perspective. Mm. I find this very normal to happen mm. because citizens themselves used to live under different circumstances. But obviously, the privatization itself is bringing additional circumstances to the equation. So this is what needs further discussion and compromises from both sides. And are what you, I mm. have... Yeah. Are you are you referring to that, you know, the enlargement invest, investment and facilities might uh, contribute to relocation of these res local residents? No, it, it does not. It does not contribute to relocation of mm. residents. It just creates different living conditions uh. due to the fact that the port is developing very, very fast. Mm. So the Chinese company, on the one hand, wants to develop the, the, the port. Mm. On the other hand, it needs to take into account some of the concerns and discussions are progressing. Mm. And that's why I believe this is very, very important, not only for the two sides, but also for China and Europe, because we can learn how we can proceed together. So both sides can reach win-win outcomes this way. Mm, indeed. Uh, Professor Leo, what, 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 what's your take on, you know, the experiences of the success of the port in Greece? 
Well, actually, uh, you bring up a very important point, and uh, because uh, when uh, the Chinese is really increasing their presence uh, in the global landscape, mm-hmm. and there can be uh, some sort of uh, a discomfort uh, be- simply because you know why suddenly a stranger, uh, you know, uh, getting <laughs> coming to my house, my neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. therefore. You know, uh, people are getting more vigilant, and uh, uh, first of all, uh, to deal with uh, the uh, decision-making process over the board is something that they need to address, and that's something that is uh, that is very much clarified in the contract. And then, how to deal with the union? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 this is something that uh, many Chinese companies do not have experience on because right. Chinese trade unions are not really very strong. Mm. And uh, uh, Pyrrhus is really doing a great job um, because, uh, again, I said Costco is uh, uh, far more experienced compared to the average of the Chinese knowledge and communication skills across culture. Mm. And uh, uh, then, so generally, the, uh, uh, the, mm. the sort of empathy that is being built over different type of stakeholders needs to be taken into a long and large consideration right. for any type of investment. So uh, some companies just think, okay, you know, here's my money and here's my efficiency. Okay, you know, why don't you accept it? Mm. But people have different considerations. Uh, what about, you know, uh, a, uh, what about a, uh, a parking space I used to have my car on? Now it's disappearing. And mm. what about, you know, you, you, when you expand the port and there will be more strangers that are come to work with the port. And uh, then, you know, what about the, uh, the fish I really like uh, in the nearby? Mm. Uh, are they going to be contaminated by more traffic? <laughs> so all of this, they are not really trivialities, but uh, uh, they are really realistic considerations. Actually, the uh, many Chinese uh, investments um, and also, you know, uh, other foreign investment in different part of the region. Mm. And they encounter something that is really beyond the rational calculation. So therefore, uh, there is nothing to blame on other stakeholders having different opinion. But mm. uh, it is really the operator that are there to do a good communication with uh, different type of stakeholders to convince them both emotionally and also rationally. Mm. Well, indeed. May I add something to yes, that? Yes, yes, please. Uh, mm. For many countries, it appears also that Chinese tend to stick together much more close than other foreign communities. Mm. This might have language, uh, cultural reasons, food reasons, whatever. <laughs> I can understand that mm. uh, China is quite different like, compared to the difference between Germans and Americans, for example. Mm. Exactly. Uh, would, mm. Well, yeah, then I, uh, I, Professor Berghoff go first, and then we hear from yeah. Professor Liu. Mm. Yeah. But, but I think the argument is clear. If, if they make su- form such a close-knit community and have borders around them within a foreign country, this is not really good for trust and understanding. So it's not, it would be nice if they would integrate more, would be more open to integrate in, in the society they're acting in now. Mm. So uh, mm. I think uh, Greece is a, a very open society, which will <laughs> welcome them very much. And the same mm. I would say for my country. Mm. Oh, Professor Liu? Yes, I very much concur because I visited a number of projects uh, for Chinese companies uh, you know, investing overseas. They do really great, uh, great job, uh, both for uh, the regulation part and for uh, the uh, operational efficiency. But uh, I call it a Chinatown syndrome. 
<laughs> so they, they just clustered together. Actually, I interviewed one manager in Johannesburg mm. and who has a really large operation. I said, you know, why don't you really interact with the communities? You know, he said, okay, we drink Mao Tai and uh, they don't. And uh, we play Mahjong after work and they don't know how to play. So, uh, you know, we want to uh, cluster together. But, uh, you know, he forgot one thing, you know, he's operating in a uh, very different environment and uh, also interacting with the neighborhood and communicating with the media mm. and uh, other NGOs are really part of their job, which mm. is not really necessary uh, when they work at home, but which is utterly important when they really build their presence overseas. Indeed, I think, uh, you know, interacting with local communities as well as embracing local culture is um, always something, not only Chinese enterprises, but uh, any foreign enterprise uh, that want to invest themselves in a certain region or a certain country. You're listening to Chat Lounge. We'll continue the discussion after a break. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome back. You're listening to Chat Lounge. A debate is going on in Germany right now surrounding the question of whether German economy is too dependent on China. Uh, Foreign Minister uh, Baerbock of the Greens told business leaders that Germany could no longer afford to act based on a, quote, business first mantra, unquote, without taking into account, quote, long term risks and dependencies, unquote. Also, uh, Vice Chancellor uh, Harbeck of the Greens promised no more naivety in Germany's dealings with Beijing. Now, Professor Berghoff, what is a naivety referred by Harbeck? I think there are two dimensions. The first mm. one is China uh, developed a long time with a certain asymmetry with regard to business opportunities for foreigners within China and for Chinese investors outside China and the rest of the world. To some degree, this has become better. China opened up to China, but now it's getting again more difficult due to, for example, the zero COVID policy to do business in China. So it is some some for some time this was not deemed to be fair. And you know the debates with the United States about fairness. We don't mm. have this with Germany, but at least this is one aspect. Do we really have a fair level playing field if we compete and if we cooperate in business? That's the first one. And the second one is well. Costco and many other companies are greatly influenced by the Chinese state. Mm. So there's a Korean business strategy, whereas the principle of market economy in the West is decentralization. So there is nothing like a, the German business strategy developed. And so we have to cope with a, with a state which follows clear objectives, long-term objectives, which might need to also political influence, whereas we just say, okay, we believe that free business as such is such an attractive thing that will persuade people to come to terms with us and, and to come to, to, to have interest in, in, a, in a cooperative behavior. And I think this has changed now a lot. And I mean, we say mm. business, first, business first mantra cited from his bear book. Mm. This was not about we just want to get money and we are greedy, things like that. It was about saying if we are linked through business, this will lead to international understanding, to, to a better world in the sense of cooperation. And again, as I mentioned before, the shock of the Russian invasion of Ukraine mm. and, and this just this total breaking up of any any basis of, of understanding, which this full-scale war created, uh, led to change in German thinking. As we say now, uh, business mm. relationships 
can be turned around from being something which helps us all and makes the world more cooperative and better for everybody into a weapon that is threatening you. Um, uh, this mm. turnaround process was so fast and so shocking that we now let, let look at every relationship and ask ourselves, is this do we really have a common basis for this relationship? Or do we create dependencies that in a kind of a, in, in a global crisis situation, even in mm. war situation, might turn against us? Mm. Dr. Zugablos, uh, what's your what's your um, you know understanding of this question coming from you know the Greek perspective, which has already has you know kind of ample experience working with the Chinese? Well, yes, the Greek experience is is, is very important in that mm. regard, especially because of the investment of Costco shipping in the port of Piraeus. But also, Greece is a member state of, of the European Union, and therefore it is aligning its policies with uh, those of, of Brussels. Mm. And this is the, the critical point in, in that uh, regard. Before the outbreak of COVID-19, we had the experienced uh, a harmonious evolution of Sino-European relations in, in general, despite differences. During the, the, the pandemic crisis and following the outbreak of the war in Ukraine, what we are experiencing is some adjustments which are also uh, reflecting the interests of Europe uh, to defend its, uh, um, its economic uh, interest vis-a-vis -vis China. Mm. Uh, there are several instruments in that regard which have been developed in Europe and Greece uh, as a member state has... Uh, uh, to uh, follow the general uh, guidelines. The big question, once again, is up to what extent there will be kind of a balance and stability in Sino-European relations. This mm. is what uh, what matters. We both sides know uh, differences. We know the disagreements. The question is up to what extent a common way forward can be found. This, this is what matters right now because the one side needs the other. It's clear. Mm. I would not engage in a discussion which side needs the other more, but <laughs> it's clear that both sides need it, needs each other. Mm. So this, this reality should lead to synergies despite disagreement. So we have to decide up to what extent we can uh, cooperate about common challenges or uh, focus on the disagreements only. Mm. Well, I think some analysts uh, would, uh, you know, separate uh, the Ukraine crisis, you know, with uh, what the uh, the German leader has uh, been referring to about the naivety about dealing China, because the Russian uh, Ukraine crisis is more related to the security uh, conditions uh, situation in Europe, as well as, you know, the the relationship between Europe and America. But that that'll be another long discussion as well. Back to the naivety. Uh, talk that we were having. Professor Liu, Chinese Communist Party just uh, held the 20th National uh, Congress in Beijing. Um, you know, from the signs and the messages that's been delivered, is the Chinese economy being more closed as uh, Professor Berghoff has been, you know, kind of hinted at? at? Well, to respond to your first uh, mm. uh, previous uh, discussion, I think mm. there are there are two type of uh, uh, fallacies, I should say, mm. uh, based on naivety. Mm. And uh, one is that, uh, okay, China, uh, you know, the Europeans, not only Germans, they compare uh, China with Russia, uh, you know, uh, mm. uh, the unpredictable behavior. But uh, uh, I think China, uh, Chinese culture, Chinese political construct is totally different to that of Russia. So they made a mistake on uh, excessive reliance on Russia supply. 
and uh, they do not really want to repeat the same mistake. But uh, no, China is a totally different national character. So that's mm -hmm. uh, something that they have to be clear. The other is that, uh, uh, you know, they said, OK, China is not reciprocating uh, in uh, to Europe. Uh, you know, how about, you know, uh, to uh, privatize a harbor mm -hmm. uh, in or terminal uh, within the Chinese ports? Well, actually, uh, uh, since 1985, mm. the, uh, China issued a circ uh, circular and policy that uh, foreign participation is welcome to uh, construct terminals or harbors and participate either uh, at the beginning or you know join the equity positions of existing companies. So these are really uh, something that uh, uh, they need to better understand the Chinese situation. And uh, in terms of the Chinese. A market, yes, you know, there has uh, there has been two type of confusions. Mm. Uh, one is the new circulation, well, which means you know, uh, domestic market takes a mainstay, international market actively interacting with each other, and this is really confusing to many readers, even within China. And the other is that uh, you know, uh, in April of this year. Uh, the NDRC, the National uh, Reform and Development uh, Commission, mm. issued a, a policy to build a national unified economy. And this also gives a sort of a negative, negative signal, that at least that uh, that is being taken, that China is going to retreat to its cocoon and isolate from the rest <laughs> of the world. But uh, the fact is not, because uh, one is that uh, uh, China is trying to actually to shift its gear for its uh, growth model, mm. uh, you know, by excessive reliance on imports and exports, and they're going to boost the domestic production. And uh, also, actually, by unifying the Chinese market and uh, eliminating uh, the barriers of, for the free flow of all economic uh, factors, that can really better prepare to work uh, with uh, uh, the international community. So, uh, you know, I, I do not think, you know, the misreading is really totally the responsibility of the outsiders, but mm. uh, uh, China, Chinese government, Chinese ministries, and uh, e even Chinese economists, they are not really doing a good job to uh, tell the exact message uh, that China right. is really standing on. Mm. Well, we've heard arguments from uh, all sides, but... Uh one final thing before we uh, we uh, end the discussion, uh, I want to talk about you know this um, this talk about a united EU policy on China because uh, some pundits in Europe are calling for that, especially on restricting Chinese investment in European infrastructure, which uh, which kind of reminds me of uh, you know which is something the Americans are already doing. I mean, the European Union, a lot of European countries are really uh, close uh, military allies with America. But uh, Dr. Zugopoulos, now, is the EU or are you European countries risking an Americanization in this China policy? Well, this is a discussion about how mm. to deal with Europe, which is not new. Mm. For example, the development of the instruments in order to deal with Chinese investments uh, entered the debate in Europe in 2017, so it was five years ago. Mm. And right now the European Union is developing uh, additional tools in order to deal with uh, Chinese investments and with its relationship uh, with China in, in general. This is something completely different, in my opinion, from uh, the general American uh, foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis China. So we need to distinguish the motivations of Europe, which is to defend its own economic interests, 
from the general American geopolitical motivations. And this uh, clarification, in my opinion, is, is critical in order to understand how, how Europe is understanding the world and how Europe is understanding its relationship with China. So mm -hmm. Europe uh, is considering uh, China not only as a competitor or a systemic rival, as, as people are suggesting in Brussels, but also as a partner. So this combination of the three characteristics and illustrations is leading Europe to develop its own policies in order uh, to, to, to move its relationship with China forward. So I would not necessarily talk about an Americanization of European mm. foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis China. I would talk about the European interests in approaching China, which China itself understands. So mm. this is how the bilateral relationship needs to develop in the future on the basis of a common understanding. And this common understanding has been very difficult during the pandemic. We are uh, hopeful that uh, following the, the, the recent Congress, people-to-people's uh, -people's exchanges will resume because it's very important in order to keep the bilateral relationship on track. Mm. Uh, Professor Berghoff, um Let's just be realistic because we know that a lot of European countries are members of uh, NATO and uh, militarily and strategically they depend on America. So uh, when French president, a lot of European leaders talking about, uh, you know, European Union being uh, having more strategic autonomy, how would they respond to America's pressure when it comes to China policy, do you think? Well, for us, it's very difficult in the relationship mm -hmm. with the United States. It's, there's an English saying which says, you can't have the cake and eat it. <laughs> but that's what we want to have in the United States. We would, would like to have a stronger European role mm -hmm. uh, in all these issues, our policy with China, also defense policy. And on the other hand, just uh, insult the partner who's just giving you his weapons to protect Europe. Uh, that's not a good strategy. <laughs> so, yes, I'd love to have more independence of Europe in this respect, more strength in Europe. And also our greatest risk in this respect is that mm. the change in American policy. Mm. Well, with that, we come to the end of our discussion. We had uh, Dr. Hans-Peter Berghoff from uh, the University of uh, Hockenheim, Germany, also Dr. George Zugaplus from European Institute of Nice, and Liu Baocheng from uh, University of International Business and Economics. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. We'll see you next week. My name is He Wenping. I'm the Senior Research Fellow of Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. My research area mainly focuses on Africa and the Middle East, of course, also including China's relation with that area. What today is the best window for us to know the world and to know China's relation with the world? Join me to tune in this wonderful program to know more about China and the world and especially how China sees the world. Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the independent Taihe Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up-to-date presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening.